You are joining Talking Neoteric, a podcast that advocates for and shares new ideas, ways of thinking and doing about who we are, what we do and where we do it. Talking Neoteric spotlights creative practitioners, sharing their work and practices, each demonstrating their reach far beyond the arts with contributions to the broader health, livability and prosperity of regional Queensland. Today I'm sitting on the lands of the Grand Grand people in the regional community of Boyne Island and we'll unpack a bit more about what this island is but it's 25 minutes south of Gladstone in central Queensland and it's great um, after spending so much time in regional and remote Queensland to be back on the coast to smell that salt in the air and be in such a stunning coastal environment. And I'm sitting here looking at this stunning Boyne River um, as the sun sets um, on an afternoon with Christine Holden. It's been a beautiful afternoon with you. We've had a, a stroll through this studio that for many years I've sent people to come and see it but I've just never had the chance to stop and, and have the afternoon with you. So thank you for showing me through your studio. Um, we've had this discussion about what a studio is and there's this preconceived idea that a studio is four walls and you make art within those four walls, but your practice really celebrates that that's not really the studio. That's exactly right. I do have something that I like to refer to as my studio, uh, but in reality, my whole house is really my studio. Uh, it depends how I feel on the day, uh, what materials I'm actually using and what I'm making um, as to, and the weather sometimes, as to where I end up and, uh, and, and how that ends up working for me but um, having a very understanding family and a house where you can spread yourself out and do those things does help as well so yes uh, my studio is my whole house really. And so what are those creating making spaces look like we've got we've got one sort of up behind us surrounded by the pool and one a bit further through another gate and and then you almost have like a material store as well. Yeah, well, I guess basically as as we've renovated parts of this house, which is still an ongoing process, um, I've just systematically taken over those areas. So we put a pool in when we first built um, bought the house um, twenty odd years ago, and then we built a barley hut. Well, the barley hut eventually became an area that I like to hang out in and, and make art and run workshops and things. So I took over that area. Um, and then the back um, block behind us became available. Uh, so instead of having someone else living there and, and looking down into us like we're in a fishbowl, um, we were fortunate enough to be able to um, secure that block. So then I had lots of room 
to spread out. And yeah, that's when my journey really began in earnest with collecting materials, mainly marine debris, which is what I like to use. Oh, let's explore that journey, right? Because it's incredible when you look at it. There's there's ropes from what, like half a pinky wide to three times the size of your leg. And, And these have made their way to your studio, to your space at at Boyne. So how does all of that that's there come here? Yeah, it's um it has been a journey and it started several years ago uh, through our involvement in the fishing industry and from that um, we had lots of contacts uh, in the, the local fishing industry. Um, the ocean and the river system here has been part of our life and it, it's part of our lifestyle. Um, so it's something that's always been of interest to me and I've been involved in a lot of beach cleanups and things like that locally and it's just kind of grown from there. So people have heard that I've, you know, can use old crab pot frames Um so instead of throwing them to the dump, they'd ring me and see if I wanted them and drop them off. Um, Tangaroa Blue, Conservation Volunteers Australia, uh, Reef Clean Australia, all of those organisations do wonderful work uh, cleaning up rubbish off our beaches and waterways and um, I've kind of got involved with them. And once their data is um, collected from the materials they pick up, then anything that I think I can use from those cleanups usually comes by the trailer load uh, to my backyard. And yeah, then I sort, clean and store it and then hopefully get to use it from there. So looking out at this yeah, incredible mass of material that you know, you've worked hard to develop those relationships and build that up. I guess there, you know, literally there's there's piles of marine debris um, that have come to you from industry and from community. So I guess through your practice, you're almost taking this caretaker way of, um, of caring for the water systems. But I guess it makes me ask, if you weren't here, what, what would be happening with all that material? Unfortunately, most of that material um, would be going to landfill because there's nowhere else for it to go. Um, I think there are some organisations now that are looking at ways of recycling some of those materials within their organisations and I think those sorts of things need to be explored more. I think over the years since I've been involved in all of this and been taking more of an active awareness of what's going on around us. Um, I've noticed, especially with functions and festivals and and big events like that, um, it is an issue and it is something that um, is being addressed a lot more, uh, particularly I'd say probably in the last five years or so. Um, I mean, especially with single-use plastics and things like that, that is becoming like an overwhelming problem that is hopefully being addressed um, more and more as we go along. But 
yeah, it's like one step forward and two steps back. Yeah, and I guess your practice has been almost ahead of the game, right? And it was incidental. It wasn't like you set out to, you know, become a weaver who, yes, used debris. It's like your relationship with the sea and with the fishing community and then I guess your your family um, connections to art and making and craft work then sort of meld together and then you become this sort of carrier of this level of respect and care for for the environment. So you've also, yeah, it's just been a natural journey for you. And at the same time, socially, we've all been starting to rethink that, that sort of plastic journey. So, you know, you will have seen even over the years you've been working with discarded materials and particularly the changes in plastic behaviour, what, what have been some of those consumer changes? Like you touched on it, like the single-use plastic. Have you, have you seen in the debris that's coming through, are there changes yet? I think uh, definitely in the commercial fishing industry, uh, yes, huge changes um, over the years. As far as being accountable, um, I think the commercial fishing industry gets a bad rap a lot of the times when it's really... uh, the Australian fishing industry is probably one of the most policed and and hard fishing industries uh, around. Um, you know, being involved in those sorts of things, you have to have um, a really strong work ethic um, and a, a good checklist of what you can and can't do. And they're out there checking you and checking on you all the time. Um, and I think the commercial, uh, the the recreational fishing industry um, has also made improvements, but I think there's a long way to go there. Uh, and I think um, that's where people need to focus. Look, we're always going to have um, people that just really don't care and don't care about the environment and don't care about those things. Um, so I think, you know, you've just got to try and make make things easier for everybody in those ways. Um, just don't have those plastics available. I mean, plastics have, have a place in our life. Um, we can't have a life now without plastics. They're here. Uh, they're in our system. Um, we're eating them. Uh, we're breathing them in. It's, it, you know, they've done studies now that have shown that uh, we are ingesting, as humans, we are ingesting about five grams of plastics, microplastics, a week, which equates to about the size of a credit card a week. And you think, no, that can't be so. But if you look at all the fillers in your washing powders, uh, your cosmetics, your hair products, uh, all of those things, um, they, yeah, it's, and unfortunately, it's in our food now as well. So it's here. um, So we have to learn how to live with it um, and use it wisely. And so that's a that's a pretty strong message. Like I've always, and I've been on a you know plastic free journey. I remember in 
2019, the end of 2019, before the COVID announcement that I, you know, I started to reduce and become really aware of the plastics I was using in a domestic setting. But yeah, 2020 was crazy and plastic consumption increased and our, you know, our ability to avoid it went out the window. So yeah, it's a, it's a complicated balance, isn't it? It is. And I, uh, it's interesting for me because um, when I first started doing art with marine debris, a lot of people just automatically assumed that I'm a vegan, I'm a, a you know, environmental guru on things and I'm none of those things. Um, I don't care what other people do or, or whatever. Um, it's your business. And I just was brought up in a family situation where recycling was a big deal and it was just what we did. My parents were elderly parents. They grew up in a depression. Um, they recycled everything and... It was just part of my life and how I was. And I just didn't think that that was a big deal. But it's actually become a really big deal as life has gone on. Um, but, yeah, anyone who can say they can live a plastic-free life is... I just, you know, you can try as hard as you can, but... Um, it's, yeah, it's almost impossible. Yeah, and I sort of feel the childhood that you're describing, um, yeah, sort of reuse, consideration, um, I sort of feel we're heading, we're heading that way naturally anyhow. Like we're heading that way socially but even financially if we think about the Great Depression and the austerity measures that were put into place, it's not dissimilar, I guess, to what's being described what we might be coming up financially with as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I just think, you know, um, living within your means and um, I just get a kick out of being able to reuse something. I, I can't help myself if, um, you know, if even just the tops off your milk cartons and things like that, I just can't not collect them so you know I've probably got a bit of a hoarding gene there as well which is probably part of my makeup but yeah if I if I keep things um long enough I'll find a use for them. So what are some of the things you've got in this incredible house studio like what would you have the most of? Uh as far as my art materials go um probably the fishing net uh, and the fishing line would be what I have the most of. But after that, it would be plastics as far as, you know, little bits of plastics. Um, your beach cleanups and things like that, the majority of the things you're picking up are cigarette butts. When you do the beach cleanups, a lot of um, your water bottles, water bottles is the big thing. And yeah, usually from overseas. Yeah, so you have, I mean, just walking through some of the spaces that you've got here, I saw like heaps of flip-flop rub, rubber thongs, the bases of them, uh, milk bottles or just bottle tops in general and twine and line 
it's it's endless, right? Yeah, they they're the big things. Uh, crab pot frames, um, the frames of the crab pots. I use those a lot. So then you're surrounded by all this material. How does the art making happen? Where does where did the ideas come from? Is it demand driven because you've got a project to do? Or is it intuitively in you and you see the material and you're like, I've just got to make this? Uh, it's a bit of both. I think um, a couple of things that I made uh, when I first started working with marine debris were um, things that were asked of me uh, to make, large projects, sculptures. Um, so, you know, I've got the four and a half metre barramundi up the backyard that's... Um, was part of a fishing competition uh, as a as a community project for people to you know help educate people about bringing your rubbish back when you go fishing. Um, but yeah, sometimes I just see something and think I I'll, I'll come up with an idea of something to use it for. But um, yeah, it's usually. Because I'm using a lot of marine debris materials, I tend to sort of think a lot about the ocean and nautical-themed things. And so is it is it a message layer? Is it, you know, you want people to relate then the material to, to where it's found and where it's impacting? Uh, yeah, I think um, it is art with a message and... I hope that, um, you know, some of the installations I've done with uh, lots of hand-woven jellyfish that have been made from reclaimed ropes and nets and, and um, fishing line, tuna line and things like that, people look at those and they don't believe that it's um, a lot of it's recycled. Because when you unravel some of those materials, their true colours are still inside. They haven't been damaged by the sun. Um, but, yeah, it just starts conversations, I think, on all of those topics about, you know, where did this all come from and, um, you know, what what's going to happen to it all. And they can't believe that there's that much of it. Um, and yeah, it's overwhelming actually. I'm just the tip of the iceberg really. And so what's the making process? Like it's not a, it's not a quick process looking at some of the fine weaves that you have here and some of the masses in, in volume that you're creating out of a, a spindle of string. What's, is it, is it cathartic for you is it um yeah is it meditative what what process do you go through yeah I think um well the household here says I get in the zone and that's what happens um so yeah kids don't get fed um you know <laughs> lunches didn't get made when the kids were younger all sorts of things like that because I'd just be I'd just have a need to to make something and yes it is very labor intensive work um you know it, using recycled materials um you feel that you have to justify that you know you haven't gone out and bought these materials um, and you're going to charge someone for your art uh, and once you explain 
the gathering of the materials, uh, the cleaning of the materials, the sorting and the storing of them properly. Uh, it's very labour intensive and weaving in itself is very time consuming as well. But um, I just love doing it. I must or I wouldn't keep doing it because, you know, a lot of it's hot, dirty work too when you're picking up rubbish, other people's rubbish. Um, but, yeah, I just I just really do uh, feel like I, I have a, a meditation. It is a form of meditation for me, I think, yeah. So what is a normal day for you? I mean, there, there might be this image of this idyllic artist strolling the beach and picking up beautiful pieces of washed up netting. And so what's, what is a normal day for you? Um, a normal day, if I was involved in a beach cleanup, I would um, put on the gloves and the sunscreen and the hat and the and go down with everybody else with my bag and your gloves and pick up the rubbish and help sort through it all, count how many bits of hard plastic and how many bits of soft plastic and how many disposable nappies are there this time and all of that horrendous stuff. Um, yeah, so you'd sort through all of that, then bring home the bits that you want to keep. Um, pressure clean them, hose them off and then store them on my shelf um, and, yeah, have a cold drink and relax and then, yeah, probably start the next day on making something with them. But, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the groundwork to get those materials is not pleasant work. And then what's the studio time? What's the making time like for you? Comfy chairs, in the sun, out of the sun... Uh, if I'm making a large sculpture, um, it, it's, you know, I'm usually outside somewhere. Um, I'm lucky enough here that I do have a couple of spaces that are under shade, but they are our living areas. So, you know, if I'm able to just move on into the living area with something I do. Um, there's been plenty of times that I've actually swept the carpet in the lounge room because I haven't been able to vacuum it because it's got too much rubbish on it. My mother would be horrified, but uh, yeah. Um, it just depends if, if it's nice weather, I try and be outside in a cool breeze somewhere. But Posture is very important uh, when I'm sitting for long periods of time. Um, if I'm weaving, I'm usually sitting. Uh, but a lot of the work that I do with sculptures and large-scale work, um, I'm usually standing. So I'm, you know, at a, at a desk of some sort standing, yeah. And so what's on the go at the moment? What's coming up? What have you just wrapped up? What, what creative things are you working on? Uh, I've got a couple of art pieces that I want to revamp and revisit um, that are fairly big sculptures. So I think I'll probably start on those um, and that's using marine debris materials. Uh, so yeah, the the big barra that I have um, needs fixing up. So there's a few pieces like that that I'm going to start on. Um, to revisit and, yeah, reinvent, working towards hopefully um, 
an exhibition in the future with those pieces. Well, you have so much inspiration to draw from for an exhibition. Um, and it's been so beautiful to have us at your home, your studio, um, and overlooking the beautiful Boyne River. So thank you for chatting with us, Christine. It's, it's been a lovely afternoon. Thank you for joining Talking Neoteric, a podcast that shares new ways of thinking and doing through the lens of visual artists and arts workers. Listen in next episode to see where Talking Neoteric is in Queensland and who joins the conversation. Talking Neoteric is curated by Bianca Simovic with production by Ashley Salter. This project was made possible through the Australian Government's Regional Arts Fund, funding through the Regional Arts Australia, administered by Flying Arts Alliance.